welcome. This podcast is hosted by Vera Bhava Yoga and explores our understanding of yoga and its relationship to resilience. If you like exploring with us, use coupon code PODCAST2022 at virabhavayoga.com to receive 15% off of all Virabhava products and programming. I am your host, Kelly Golden, and I'm a writer, a yoga teacher, a dedicated practitioner, exhaustive thinker, and the founder of Virabhava Yoga School. I've been practicing and studying yoga since 1995 and teaching since 2003. My primary focus is Sri Vidya Tantra and the ways that yoga can be directly applied to our lives in all situations. This season will continue to follow my exploration of just that, both my successes and my failures, as well as feature conversations with fellow practitioners, teachers, and humans living resilience as their yoga. Through contemplation, wondering, conversation, and experience, we will explore resilience as synonymous with the path and practice of yoga. Our conversations will unpack the points of crossover, the similarities of experience, and the ways that both practices support arriving whole and alive in the midst of wherever we find ourselves, be it hardship and challenge or joy and pleasure. Many of these conversations are hosted monthly as free live classes that also include an accompanying asana practice. Visit our website to learn more and to participate if you would like to explore studying with us more deeply. Check out our online Tantra yoga and meditation programs at virabhavayoga.com. We hope you enjoy the podcast. of the Yoga of Resilience podcast wonders about one of the prime tenets of Tantra, the idea of more. In a culture and a time where we never seem to be satisfied and are exhaustively driven to acquire, achieve, and experience more, how is the idea of more an approach to contentment? We explore the possibility that recognizing what you have is a powerful tool to unfolding more in your life and learning how to live anchored in what is generates a connection to the experience of more. It's from that place of enough that more emerges. My hope is this talk is an appreciation of the fluidity of the ever-changing present and a celebration of what is possible when we allow our moments of enough to unfold what more is possible. Enjoy. All right, so today I want to talk about enough and more. I'm framing it in the context of Santosha, but as I made my notes for today's uh, lecture, I didn't actually write down the word Santosha a single time, but in case you don't know, that's a, a word in Sanskrit that means contentment. Um... And I've been thinking a lot about that and feeling a lot about that. So let's start there. If you're in a place where you can sit back and close your eyes, then I invite you to do so. I always like my online meditations, these resilience classes to be functional. So if you're not in a place where you can sit down and close your eyes, you can just tune in to the best of your ability. And take a moment or two to arrive into your breath. So even if you're active right now, moving around, driving, can you just turn your attention 
to the in-breath and the out-breath. <laughs> Keep breathing as I let my dog in because she's going to scratch at the door the whole time. Sorry. Lauren's got her cat. I've got my dog. It's perfect. So I'm going to invite you to start to shape the breath with intention, but I, my request is please don't force the shaping. So see if it just emerges from the quality of your attention rather than sort of the effort of your mind. So if and when it feels natural, I want you to see the breath emerging in three parts. So beginning at the belly or abdomen, rising up into the rib cage, and then sort of culminating at the collarbones, the very top of the lungs. And then as you exhale, releasing the breath from the collarbones, and then the rib cage, and then the belly. So doing your best not, again, to force, but sort of land in this possibility of breath flowing in this way and if it's not happening organically, just watch what is happening in its place of this three-part experience. So belly, ribs, collarbones, exhaling from the collarbones, the ribs, and the belly. And as you move your attention through these places, see how breath meets all of the tiny little crevices inside the body and maybe how it moves in the spaces of your mind. As you breathe belly, ribs, collarbone in and collarbone, ribs, belly out, notice if there's tension or resistance to this movement. Notice if the rhythm or the orientation of the breath is different than what you're maybe desiring it to be. And see if you can notice all of this without uh, trying to control your breath, right? Just don't colonize our breath. Just allow. Allow what's happening to happen and then create the suggestion the energetic suggestion, the mental suggestion that the breath move in this way, belly, ribs, collarbones, collarbones, ribs, belly, just in and out, breath rises on inhale and falls through these three parts on exhale. Staying with that rhythm, again, without forcing, I want you to engage your mind very lightly with these questions. What joyful things exist right in front of you? What do you feel is intimately connected to you?
How do you take pleasure in your life right now? Stay with the breath. Belly, ribs, collarbones, collarbones, ribs, belly. What do you take pleasure in your life right now? In the life as it is, not in something you're trying to create or shape or pursue, but as your life is right now, what brings a sense of calm, ease, and joy? And then the last question to contemplate from this inner space, to listen into what arises when the question is asked, how can you grow what brings you joy? Try not to make it a mind game. Just receive whatever comes from this place of tuning in. How can you grow the things that bring you joy? Very gently, you can release the attention on the breath. Just allow the breath to be natural and easeful. And then draw your chin to your chest. Gently blink your eyes open and come back. Yeah, welcome. Hope that felt good. It's not often, even in this time of year, it's not often that we turn our focus towards joy. I think it's a cultural thing. Um, it's interesting that we have to learn how to feel joy. It's, all, it's also a, a neurological wiring thing where, where we have bias. We're wired towards negativity. We're wired towards survival. Uh, understandably, if you look back several thousand years, that was important for our neurobiology to, to have us on that preparedness level all the time. But primarily for most of us, we're not quite in that space of every moment being um, a question of survival. Now, I don't want to say that's true for everyone. For some people, it is true. Um, and I And I've been thinking a lot about what it looks like for those of us that aren't in survival mode all the time to be a nurturing support to people that are in survival mode all the time. You know, like, what does that look like to show up in that way um, and stay mindful of the center of peace and joy inside as you show up in that way, right? Um, I feel like there's a lot of great Buddhist teachings uh, that orient in that direction. I'm not a Buddhist, so uh, maybe it's time for me to expand my learning. Um, what I've been exploring is the relationship between thoughts and feelings and how when thoughts are predominant, joy is kind of far away often because our thoughts lead us into uh, the realm of hungry ghosts. Do you know this? The, wa- the never satiated wanting, right? Every, every acquiring manifests another want right and so there's never a landing point our ghosts our ghosts of wanting are always hungry in those places when we're in in our um in the space of our thoughts and mind 
And we have to, to turn our thoughts towards contentment. It's, a, it's effortful, often, right? Um, for most of us in the dominant culture of North America, working hard, being successful, doing everything is the name of the game. And our thoughts are oriented towards that, right? They're achievement orientations. We're, we're taught it from a really young age. Our, school, our schools teach us to achieve. Um, and uh, often our relationships teach us to do better and be more, right? Like it's um, so subconscious and so um, subversive that we don't even realize that it's the driver of most of our thoughts. And then what do we do? We like step out of our life in some way. We take a vacation and we're like, this is ridiculous. You know, <laughs> Like, why am I acting like this? Why am I leading this life? Right. And then immediately uh, when you have to turn back towards your life, it's the same sort of uh, predominant pursuit of sort of outrunning the feeling that we don't have what it takes to be happy. Um, I mean, I, I sort of wonder i work with a lot of yoga students it's a it's such a pleasure to do what i do and a lot of people come to yoga because they're dissatisfied with their lives and they're looking for yoga to bring some sort of satisfaction that they have yet to be able to find right so for a lot of different reasons at this point in my uh, engagement with this practice i feel called to focus on what it feels like to have enough. Right? What it feels like, what is the feeling, not the thought of enough, not the efforting, not the not the chiseling away at our mental process to focus on what we have and then mentally become grateful or appreciative, but actually the felt sense of experiencing enough. What does that look like? I mean, I've been playing. I love, if you know me, you know I love coffee. End of discussion. But I've been drinking my coffee differently in the mornings. Just stopping when it's enough. You know, not chasing the, you know, I'm a, I'm a two cup a dayer. And it's like that, drink that first cup really fast so I can get to my second cup. And then the second cup's over and then there's this like sadness. Oh, I'm done with the coffee for the day. Or I could have more and tip the balance of my health and well-being. You know, this like mental game that we do. And instead I'm getting my coffee in my hands. It's, it's winter. Coffee's just so much better when it's cold outside. And getting the coffee in, in, in the cup in my hands and tasting it. And then drinking until it feels like enough. And then resting in the assurance that there's also more. If that's the pursuit, if that's the choice that I make for myself. So much of our thought-based mentality is around enough limiting us from more. If we settle for enough then we get stuck or stagnant or we're not pursuing what is available to us. But the tantric point of view is if, land, if we have the capacity to land in enough, then we can open and receive what's more. So in, in, in the idea of tantra, we're, it's a constantly expanding entropic quite honestly universe like things are just shifting towards bigger more chaotic you know 
And can we find the place where instead of being afraid of that or resisting that or stopping it, can we land in the moments that this ever-expanding possibility offers to us? I'm so, like, it's lighting me up right now to just think about what it's like to, to be in the moment not as a diminishment or a reduction of what is because everything feels so overwhelming so often. So what happens if being in what is is not overwhelming, but it's a gift, right? I've got a quote I'm going to read you. Is that okay with you? You guys know who Joanna Macy is? She is like a saint on earth. So she's a Buddhist teacher and an environmentalist. She's like in her 90s. So like a true elder um, and passionate open-hearted person. So uh, the first thing she says is that I've quoted here is, whatever happens, we could be saying thanks to life together because we have learned to take in the beauty and love it. Whatever happens, we could be saying thanks to life together because we've learned to take in the beauty and love it. Why should we insist that it lasts forever? Why are we saying, I don't want it now because it's not going to last forever? How ridiculous. Right? We're making these, I love this idea because we're making these sort of, we're negotiating with our lives all the time. Like, I'll pursue that if I can have it or if I can get what I want out of it. But if I can't get what I want out of it, I'm not going to waste my time. And the getting what I want out of it is very singular and very reductionist to self. And it forgets about how sometimes our engagement in a thing has nothing to do with us and has everything to do with the ripples it creates and how it's going to impact maybe someone we don't even know. And what joy, what pleasure we could take in knowing that our engagement Our willingness to show up in anything is making an impact that expands beyond ourselves, right? What if our yoga had nothing to do with us getting more flexible or more peaceful or more grounded and had everything to do with us becoming a more connected and conscious engager in this whole big universal game, yeah? Okay, another quote. I have, I have two more, so I'm trying to decide which one's next. Let me read this one. This one's Rilke. This isn't Joanna Macy. So Joanna Macy and, uh, and Anita Barrows translated this classic book. Do you guys... This is, I'm not getting any kickback for this. I'm just like totally into this book right now. Do you guys know Rilke's Letters to a Young Poet? So they did a translation. It's absolutely amazing. So this is a quote from Rilke. We must accept our reality and all of its immensity. Somewhere along the way, we have taught ourselves that our reality is more than we can handle. And guys, it's not true. It's just not true. Our reality is not more than we can handle it. Whatever we're given, there's a possibility of handling it. But what I want to say is maybe we've reduced the understanding of the tools we have at our disposal. 
And we're trying to hold a reality that feels like too much with tools that don't have the capacity to hold it. So what if we started bringing new tools into the reality that exists? Because you know what? The reality's not going to change because we do yoga. Right? Okay, which is a great lead into this next quote. This is another Joanna Macy quote. It is clear that we who are alive now are here for something and witnessing something for our planet that has not happened at any time before. There has not been in the Earth's history a moment like this. And from the perspective of science and the perspective of the mind and reason, we are facing a danger that involves collapse. And unless our behavior changes, perhaps wholesale extinction. And so, we who are alive now and who feel called to love our world, we must learn to be grateful for it. To teach ourselves how to see beauty, how to treasure it, how to celebrate it, how, if it must go away, to be grateful for the time that we have. Every funeral, Every memorial service is one where we give thanks for the beauty and the quality of that which is passed on. We are in a time where there is a need for us to say thanks to what must disappear, to acknowledge the beauty as we recognize its impermanence. Why? Because it's holy. We suddenly see that this whole thing has been holy And we are now learning how to say goodbye to that is sacred and holy and has always been. And that goodbye has got to be given in deep thanksgiving for having been here at all and had the gift to be a part of it. Maybe this feeling, this felt sense of thanksgiving for what is departing will mean that we change the way we engage with this precious world. Whatever it does. It's time to get down on our knees and give thanks that we've had the chance to be in this life and maybe its final breath. We are lucky to be here in the end of what we know. And it's something to be grateful for, to recognize in each other so that we can look in each other's faces and see how truly beautiful we all are. We don't want to die not knowing how beautiful all of this is. That's Santosha in perfection. What would it be like? Thank you, Joanna Macy, for existing on the planet. What would it be like if what we have, we celebrate? Instead of demanding that what we have become perfected or be perfect before it's worthy of our gratitude and appreciation, and y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all are in relationship. Maybe intimate relationship, maybe friendship, maybe with your parents, whatever it is. You know how frustrating connecting with other people can be? What if we celebrated even the parts that drive us crazy? What if we celebrated 
the fact that time exists at all. Thank you, Gregorian calendar that made something arbitrary, very easy to track. Right? Thank you, clock on the wall, for helping me remember when I forget that the day is moving on. That I don't have infinite time. Right? What happens when we start celebrating what we have is we start to land in the contentment that what we have is enough. That we don't have to acquire more, to gain more. We don't have to disagree more. We don't have to perfect more. But what more is available to us comes from the enough. Think about this. We desire what we appreciate, right? You don't desire the stuff you don't appreciate. Maybe you do. If you're me sometimes and you're a little bit masochistic, you're like, how can I rub into the friction of things I don't like, right? But for the most part in our dominant culture of Western North America, we really desire what we already like. We want more of what we already like. Imagine, and, and the act of, of that desiring what we appreciate is generative. Have you noticed? Have you ever walked in, and I'm thinking about this, uh, like family gatherings at Christmas. Everybody agree with all your family's points of view? You ever walk in, yeah, exactly. You ever walk into your house, the, your, the house of your upbringing at Christmas and be like, they don't even know who I am. And then all of these strangers are looking at you like someone you were 25 years ago, you know. Maybe you're not to that age threshold yet, but it'll happen. Just wait, right? What happens when you walk in and you appreciate that there's a room full of people that remember you 25 years ago and love you like that? Do you know what happens when you appreciate that room full of people that love you like you were in the past? Your love for them grows because you cease to need them to do anything different than what they're doing. When we learn how to appreciate what is right in front of us, it is generative and it grows more of what we appreciate. That's why being here now is so important, not to diminish the chaos of the world, at least not from a tantric point of view. We're not trying to reduce the bad stuff. We're trying to enhance the good stuff and to generate more of it because, friends, we are at no shortage of good stuff, even in potentially the hardest time on the planet ever. We are not at a loss for beauty and we are not at a loss for joy and we are not at a loss for connection. It might have to change. It might have to look different. But that change and that difference, that's the more. That we're not trapped in this limited view of what has always been. And if we can't have it like we want it, then we shouldn't have it at all. If we can't have it like we think it should be, then why are we even trying? That's total bullshit. It's causing us to miss the joy that sits in our laps all of the time. Right? When's the last time? I love uh, Megan's puffy vest. It's finally puffy vest season. When's the last time you zipped up your puffy vest and thought, oh, yes. 
Like, just so, I mean, this is what makes tantrics, like, true tantrics, like, crazy, is because that level of celebration and appreciation is in everything. Right? It's not an avoidance strategy. It's not a way to push away the world so that you can manage it. It is a way to engage with the world so you have capacity for more. And the way that we get there is to recognize that what is right in front of us and all the mess and all the chaos is holy. And it is enough. It is enough that you're potty training your three-year-old. Right? It won't last forever. Nothing will last forever. And the desire for perfection is causing us to miss it. Um, I have this whole list. Appreciating your loved ones generates more love. When you realize that your people, chosen or not, are enough, just like they are, then you love them more. Maybe you put up stronger boundaries, but stronger boundaries often equates with more love. Right? When, when you appreciate your work, it generates more work to appreciate. Here's a little bit of a slap in the face because we don't all want more work to appreciate. But when we appreciate the gift of what we get to do, whatever that work looks like, hand work, head work, body work, whatever it is, then it, the appreciation of the work itself generates more opportunity to do that work. Yeah? When we, and this one's a hard one in our current day and age, when we appreciate time, we get more time. One of my teachers used to say, if you don't have time to meditate, meditate longer. Because it generates time out of nowhere, like weaves time together. And then all of a sudden that half an hour you chose to take when you didn't feel like you had the time gave you an extra Two hours in your day where you weren't spun out wondering, when am I going to have the time to meditate? So appreciating the time that you do have and treasuring it. Recognizing that I have enough time to do all that I truly desire. Then puts you in contact with doing that which you truly desire. And then being in contact with what you desire generates more of what you desire, more opportunities to be in that place. Appreciating your connections generates more connections. When you realize that the way and the people with whom you are connecting might just be enough, and you start landing in the connections that you have deeply and truly, then you feel more connected. It's so almost disgustingly simple. There's not a magic spell you have to cast. There's not a, a transformation that has to take place. You simply see what's in front of you and you appreciate it. And then that appreciation grows itself into more. The very first step in this, and it is a new learning process, and, and I think it's, it's often why it's difficult because you're learning a new way of being. But the very first step in the process is to start appreciating that you are enough. 
just as you are, however you show up. If you didn't get your coffee in the morning and you show up like a grumpy, irritable, uh, unwilling participant in whatever you have to do, first of all, I want to say, I get you. I understand. And you're still enough. Grumpy, irritable you is still enough. When you can land in being enough as you are, then it generates more of who you are. When you can start touching in, and this is definitely, you guys know Vera Bhava, this is the work that we do. When you start getting really clear on the truth of who you are beneath all of the veils of who you think you should be, you know what I'm talking about, then you start creating the opportunity to be more of that which you are. And that creates more enough over and over and over again in your life. More enough. And all I perceive, all we all really want to feel is that we have enough, that we are enough, right? That's what we want. So when we start training, re-educating ourselves to be that, you guys know babies or dogs? It's a great example. We'll bring Kimber's dog onto the stage. When's the last time your dog felt like they weren't enough? Like we all came into the world with this interesting recognition that who we are was a gift. It was totally enough. We do not have in our, in our um, infantile neurobiology, we do not have the ability to register, I'm not good enough to receive your love. And when we don't receive the love as a small child, we scream until we get it. And we never ever once think, well, that's off-putting and they're not going to want to give me their love if I scream. We just understand at the core of our existence that we are enough and wanting that connection and that love is okay. And there, it's not a satiated experience and then it's not like you get what you screamed for and then that's you're good for the next six months. No, you keep asking for it. Why? Because you're enough. That is still in you. Even if you think it's not, even if you're running a script or a story that says, I'm not enough. You and I both know it's bullshit. So what if we just started living from that place? Every time that little script starts to run, there's a part of you that is enough that says, "Mm mm-mm, that's just not true. And then the part of you that knows that you are enough, it will start generating more opportunities to recognize that, to engage with it and from it. And when you recognize that you are enough, it doesn't mean you have to like all the parts of yourself. Come on, y'all. All of us have bad habits and bad engagement strategies. Like, you don't have to be perfect. But when you recognize that you are enough and you start engaging from that place, then you start helping other people remember that they are enough too. Nobody gets left behind in the enough strategy and there's always more of it to access. You will never run out of beauty. 
The only way to run out of beauty is to make the active choice, conscious or unconscious, to not see the beauty that's in front of you anymore. Even the people in the most devastated places in the world find beauty. It is the nature of existence. There won't ever not be it. So what happens when we just choose to tune to it? It multiplies. Right? When we learn that being enough is a landing pad, we can celebrate what is in everyone instead of pursuing the need for more. And here's the great paradox. When we don't pursue more, guess what we get? More. (laughs) When we pursue more, we're pursuing from a place of lack. And therefore, guess what we get? Lack. Less. It's the impetus. It's the place from which we move is what we generate. So when we can start moving from this place of enough, then we generate more experiences, more felt sense of enough. But when we move from a place of lack, even if what we're trying to gain is more, we just generate more lack. Start small. Apply it to your morning coffee. Don't go right into your intimate relationship or your relationship with your parents. That is full of landmines and easy to get off course. Start small. Start with paying attention to what enough is in the tiny little pleasures that come to the forefront of your mind. Riding a horse, right? Petting your dog. Reading your kids a bedtime story. Start small. What's enough? When it involves your kids, you might not have as much of a say as you would like. Sometimes with our kids, we get to enough before they do, right? But start small with what's right in front of you, right? David White says, start close in. Always quote this poem. Start close in. Because what is enough is right there. It's not far, far away. It doesn't require some radical self-transformation or refinement or perfection. And all that is great. And you can work towards it once you land in the truth of who you are. Yeah? Rest. It is the season of rest. Even though where I am in the world, where some of us are in the world, it's a little warmer than maybe expected. But if also if you're in Northern California, um, you're also uh, snowy. You know? So it's the season of rest. And there's a reason. Until we rest in our pursuit, it's difficult to land in enough. We have to arrive in what is before enough can emerge. As long as we're running, it's hard to find it. I'll have a whole nother page. I'll turn the page. Ten minutes. This whole idea, I'm just fascinated that it's something that we have to teach ourselves. When it just is so evident. And I think the more distracted we are, the more inundated we are with other people's versions of enough, which you know is not real, right? 
one of my very closest friends was just in town and uh, telling me about her Thanksgiving family drama. Yeah, if you were to look at the pictures that she posted on social media, you would have thought that she had the most perfect Thanksgiving ever. But behind the scenes, it was a total shit show. Right? And, and guys, that's just true. It's, we have to continually remember. And unfortunately, we forget really easily. The way that we're wired, we're wired as forgetters. But the beautiful part of forgetting is it implies remembering. Forgetting requires that there's something behind the forgetting to remember. So every time we forget, every time we move into that space where um, we're defined by not enough, by lack, um, by desire for everything around us to change, every time we move into that place, it's it's difficult, but we can do it. We can start training ourselves to, to remember that what is in and with us is a blessing. It doesn't mean, and when we can land in our blessings, it might motivate us to want to share that. And sometimes those sharing ideas of blessing look like radical and revolutionary acts. Sometimes it looks like pursuing change. But there's not the same force and division and factioning and separation that comes when we pursue those deep generative desires from a place of feeling like what is is already enough. Yeah? You with me? This season of darkness is a good time to experiment. What does it feel like for the light that is here right now to be enough? Literally and metaphorically. Right? We're in, a, we're in sort of a grand season of darkness. For some people, it started in 2020. When our, when our connections were severed, we went into this sort of dark place. When, when our rhythm that we'd sort of been blindly... Um, adapting to or or going along with got stopped it felt like a shock and that shock for a lot of people felt really dark and heavy and then what I noticed at least with the people that I worked with the longer they stayed in the darkness the more the lightness of that started to emerge oh wait I don't have to please my boss anymore I can wear my pajama pants to work right oh wait I'm stuck with my partner I gotta figure out how to just get along with them even though they never take out the trash you know whatever it is like there were these opportunities to find light in the darkness and now here we are right coming up on the solstice days are getting shorter nights are getting longer and rather than being bogged down in the absence of the light to me it's it inspires me to seek it in places that maybe i would have never thought to look Because it's not gone. The light is still there, even in the darkest corners. And when we turn our attention, our intention, our motivation towards finding the light, it shifts our perspective. When we appreciate the light that is there, when it's there, my friend just told me that there's places in Alaska 
where the sun doesn't rise until 10 o'clock in the morning and then it sets at 3. I mean, there's some places where for months the sun doesn't rise at all. What would that feel like? What an amazing emergence your first sunrise would be, right? How would you start to make friends with the descent of the dark? How would darkness just be enough in the moment and generate opportunity to grow and expand and feel the beauty of it? What does it feel like for the love of those around you to be enough for you? What does it feel like if you, to make your job enough for you? I'm not saying that you stay there forever or if you're in a shitty relationship that you trap yourself in it. But what does it look like if you just make what you have enough? Little by little, tiny steps. What does it look like for differences not to be limitations, but to be opportunities to generate more? More uniqueness, more appreciation for the ways that we all express ourselves in very amazing and colorful ways, more understanding for people that aren't like us, more compassion. When someone shares a story that's so far out of the realm of what we can even understand, can that difference actually be enough to land in the listening and receiving of the gift of their truth? Can our differences actually emerge? Can they actually create more connection? You know I'm telling you this because you're probably all going to go home for Christmas. So do what you got to do. More. Can we shift our focus, even briefly, away from what we lack or what we want to change and into towards what we have right now? And start practicing feeling the enough that is there. This is a radical and revolutionary act in a time of factioning and division and conflict. To look at someone that you wholeheartedly disagree with about one thing, but find the thing. Choose to love them. Choose that their love is also enough for you. I can disagree with you wholeheartedly and your love is still enough. What if we took the conditions off of our love, off of our connection? And it's a practice that will be hard. We will forget over and over and over again. And every time we remember, there will be more enough waiting for us. Um, It's a blessing that I get to do this. Thank you for showing up. You're the reason that I get to do this. This podcast is only a fraction of what we do at Virabhava Yoga. To learn more about our live classes, workshops, online tantric meditation and yoga trainings, visit our website, www.virabhavayoga.com or follow us on Instagram at virabhavayoga. You can also register to attend these conversations live and download the associated asana classes by visiting virabhavayoga.com backslash podcast. Don't forget to use code podcast2022 to save 15% off of anything on our website. May these conversations inspire you to explore yoga as resilience in your life. Thanks for listening.